used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day Finally made a friend of time Now you could say that I'm Aging gratefully Broadcasting from the rolling hills of the beautiful Tennessee Valley from the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. Across this amazing nation and spanning the universe, you're listening to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, bringing you exceptional guests and novel information to ensure you age great, live full, and embrace each extraordinary day for the incredible gift it is. We broadcast on all your favorite players brought to you all over the world. Welcome to Aging Gratefully, most amazing listeners. So happy you're tuning into the show today. I hope you're doing well. And of course, I hope you will begin the hour with me as we strike our signature pose. Our smiles across the miles, our GrenFest self-care that is shareable. That is one reason we call it the power hour, because your smile holds so much power, Aging Rebels. The things that happen when you simply choose to smile, I've told you, it's like a cocktail party in your brain. Those neuropeptides kicking life into high gear, an alcohol-free, life-lifter-upper, on-demand, like no other. Whew, so awesome. And this time of year, we have so much to smile about. Some call it fall that we are still in on the uh, outer banks of fall here. Others, depending on where you are in the world, may call it autumn. And others, because we have listeners tuning in all over the world, may be in a different season. And soon we will be shifting into winter. But either way, this season represents a time of transition and change. Something we can all probably relate to, right? Not only is life laced with change and transition, so is our journey of growing older. When you look at the change of seasons, what do you see? Do you marvel in the amber, golden, magenta artistry display orchestrated by Mother Nature that is ever-changing daily in fall? Are you captivated by the parade of autumn's special harvest we anticipate? Or the other pleasant weather that we enjoy this time of year? Or do you focus on the dismal, leafless, barren trees and the colorless and cold winter soon to follow? Actually, just later this month. I know the answer because aging rebels are mindset masters and you always focus on the positive. Of course, we celebrate fall for all her glory and winter's special splendor too. The power of thought and choice are so important. We always have a choice of what to think, but we are bombarded with messages of all kinds influencing us. When we were young, we heard the saying, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. Remember that one? It was so popular in the day, right? But despite that adage, names did hurt us, didn't they? It took us a while to embrace this school of thought to get more personally empowered so as to not take on 
and adopt the words the world would impose towards us. And as we celebrate fall in all of its magnificence, I think about the beautiful butterflies still flying about. They're soaring around with such grace and beauty. Some more beautiful than others, but none are without being graced with grand splendor, regardless of their species or color patterns. The butterfly has to go through a lot though to become a butterfly, and I mean a lot. This is a classic example of beauty at a price. Of course, we all know a butterfly does not begin as a beautiful butterfly. Instead, it nearly eats its way to readying itself to becoming prepared for epic butterfly status, beginning as a wormy, squiggly, not so beautiful caterpillar. And a caterpillar has one job in the beginning, to eat. Oh, well, and survive. There's that to avert being lunch to birds, spiders, and whatnot. But then one day, this caterpillar stops dining on everything green in sight, and it's finally time, time to spin a special cocoon. So it hangs upside down from a branch, twig, or whatnot, and spins a splendid silky cocoon or molts into a chrysalis. This chrysalis action is mad scientist kind of stuff, truly miraculous this caterpillar is. You could think of it as literal rad insect recycling because inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar's body digests its very own self from the inside out. Can you even believe this? It sounds like something from an alien movie. The same juices it used to digest food as a larva, it now uses to break down its own body. The fluid breaks down the old caterpillar body into cells called imaginal cells. Many butterfly species will spend less than a week undergoing this magical metamorphosis, but most will emerge as a butterfly within about three weeks. Some butterflies may wait as long though as three years to leave the chrysalis, depending on the environment around them. So let me ask you aging rebels, do you think if word got out in the caterpillar community and caterpillars everywhere started talking about this caterpillar butterfly transition equation, do you think many caterpillars would opt in for this whole digesting your own self from the inside out, being in there hanging upside down in this confining chrysalis quarters for as long as maybe three years, when they were perfectly happy just eating their way through their wormy life. I mean, would they? Because life was good on the leaf. Why sign up for walking the plank of digesting your own innards, being stuck in a claustrophobic chrysalis for who knows how long to become something else when you're really perfectly happy being you and joyfully eating all the time? And by the way, you never knew you weren't gorgeous like the butterfly because nobody told you. So you didn't care about that either. All that scary talk would have every caterpillar on the planet saying no to the chrysalis. Emphatically, I might add, but caterpillars don't talk. Caterpillars just live as they are intended to do. Kind of like fall, autumn, and winter does their thing too. And thank goodness because behold all the beautiful glorious butterflies and behold the season we're in. 
You see, we can find ourselves getting stuck because of fear and listening to the messages received both consciously and subconsciously from so many sources that we thwart our own ability to fly like that butterfly. In this season of autumn that we're still in, we may be blinded by winter right around the corner and fail to see even further that spring is right down the road. We forget to trust that right now we are in our own best season and to behold it and be stakeholders in every stage and not give in to the notions that the best is behind us, but instead that we can create our own best life every single day in every season of life. That is why we're aging gratefully and why we love doing it together in the spirit of gratitude, aging rebel style. Which brings us to our Aging Gratefully alphabet suit for the psyche this week. Quote, if nothing ever changed, there'd be no butterflies. And our Aging Gratefully show dedication this week is to the word gratefulness. It's a noun, and it means warm, deep appreciation, gratitude, thankfulness for our season of life and this amazing season upon us, whichever one you're in, Aging Rebels, because it's ours to embrace. And... Gratitude for butterflies, caterpillars, of course, and today's wonderful guest. Cheryl Richardson is a New York Times bestselling author and self-care expert whose books include Take Time for Your Life, The Art of Extreme Self-Care, and her latest, Waking Up in Winter, In Search of What Really Matters at Midlife. Her work has been covered on Good Morning America, The Today Show, CBS This Morning, and many more. She was team leader for the Lifestyle Makeover series on the Oprah Winfrey Show and joined Miss Winfrey on the Live Your Best Life nationwide tour. I invite you to learn more about her by visiting her at CherylRichardson.com. It is with great pleasure. So excited to have you with us today. Welcome to the Aging Gratefully Show, Cheryl Richardson. Thank you, Holly. I'm so glad to be here and to talk to you about aging. Oh my goodness. So when I saw your book, your audio, uh, actually your audio release, Self-Care for the Wisdom Years, Practical Ways to Celebrate the Mystery and Wonder of Aging, I'm like, oh my goodness, she's absolutely has to be on the Aging Gratefully show. You've written so many books. I don't even know how you write this many books, but this is actually an audio work that you've created. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, in some ways I think it was part of I mean, I know it was part of this whole conversation about aging and how in the second half of life, I've really wanted to um, do more things that bring a sense of aliveness to my life. And so I did something a little, well, a lot daring. And that was, I came up with a sort of an outline of what I wanted to talk about as it relates to how self-care changes as we get older, as we enter our wisdom years. And rather than write a book, which I, you know, I've been writing since I was 12, I love writing and, and I certainly had thought about it, but I decided to take a risk and do something different, to go into the studio and really behave as though you and I were in the studio having a conversation about how to take better care of yourself as you enter your wisdom years. And so I used this outline of points that I knew I wanted to make, but I kind of created it as I went along. And I took the listener through stories and examples of how my life is changing and how other people's lives are changing and 
then offered certain experiences and exercises that I've used and that I've used with people over the years to help them understand, become more self-aware and understand themselves better. And it ended up being like an intimate conversation over several days. And um, it was really exciting and interesting for me, really scary in the beginning, <laughs> for sure. But oh my um, goodness, that's you know, really neat that you were able to actually get in that space because I wonder if in the beginning, was it a little awkward for you to like, it was almost you having a conversation with you, yes. but kind of allowing yourself to perceive so many people being invited into this conversation. Yes, I was really scared going into the recording. My producer, Mitchell, who was wonderful, um, assured me we'd be able, you know, we'd work together as partners. And sure enough, I mean, he was in the booth with me. And every now and then I, I brought in one or two people that I knew would really resonate with the topic. But mostly it was Mitchell and I, and he was my solo audience. And so there were times where he'd say, wow, that was really good. You know, tell me more about that. Or that that's very interesting to me, but I don't understand this. Could you say more about that? And so we, it was really kind of a co-creative project with him being the ears and, and a few of few of friends and colleagues being the ears of the listener. And it turned out to be once I relaxed into it, like we have to do with any new thing in life. Once I took a deep breath and relaxed into it, I really liked that form of creating. It was a creative project that I think turned out to be a really helpful one-on-one -on -one coaching session or coaching conversation between myself and the listener. Wow. I think that it's a very unique way for you to get your work out there and so wonderful for people to actually have this audio version uh, to be able to access self-care for the wisdom years as well. And self-care is the key to uh, our aging journey as well, because we often overlook ourselves. We're so busy. In fact, in most of our lives, being something else, being the mother, being this, being that, we have titles our entire life. And do you find that we often overlook the self-care part? Well, yes. You know, when I talk about the wisdom years, I mean, the simple way to say it is at some point in life, we recognize often just through some discomfort or being bored with our lives or not feeling the sort of sense of aliveness, we begin to realize that we need something different. And we start making the transition from what I call an ego-directed life to a soul-directed life. Now, the ego tends to get a bad rap. We often think of it as you know, egotistical, arrogant, full of oneself, but that's not what I'm talking about. Really what I'm saying is the first half of life we spend cultivating an identity taking on roles as you said like the mom the you know a certain the ceo the artist the sister the daughter the friend we cultivate this identity that that's made up of a whole bunch of roles but it's not who we really are who we really are is a higher consciousness the the presence the essence behind the personality the one um the the consciousness that is connected to everything and we know that when we get quiet, we try to meditate, for example, and your mind makes you crazy. It's just so filled with thoughts. We start aggravating ourselves with our thoughts. But then we have to ask ourselves, who's noticing how busy the mind is, right? That's the soul. That's what I would call the soul, the essence of who we are. So it, at 
this at a later stage in life, we begin to drop some of the identities systematically sort of over time. We start to relax and release some of the identities so that we can discover what's left behind. And that is a direct connection with ourselves as a soul. And it takes time and it's can be, you know, a, a uncomfortable journey because many of us identify very strongly with our roles. So for example, if you take on the role of mother, well, if you've raised children and they're suddenly graduated from high school and they've gone off to college, the role of mother, whether you like it or not, has changed, right? Because your kids are no longer at home and they no longer need your um, supervision. Well, there's a certain amount of grieving that has to happen and that, you know, that really needs to happen as we relinquish that role and open space for what might be next. And um, that same thing can happen at the end of a career. You might be a teacher who's worked in teaching for 25 years and you decide you want to retire or it's time to move on to something else. We grieve that identity of teacher and we open the space for something else to emerge. So that's what I'm talking about. That's where the starting point with this program is. What's no longer working in your life? And might that be an invitation to live more deeply, uh, more authentically, and more in a way that gives time and attention to your inner life rather than so much time and attention to your outer life? Yes, and I do love the idea of invitations. You know, in my opening, I was talking so much about the caterpillar really just not questioning. It just goes into autopilot and becoming that butterfly. And, you know, we realize throughout life that we have so much that we question and we have so much, you mentioned grief, you know, we have grief all throughout our life. And it often puts us in a place of where we're stagnant for a while, a long spell. And it puts us in a place where we don't know what's next and we can grieve so many things as you know through the work that you do you just mentioned some of them we can retire and we might grieve how we once identified as that person that working individual and we were so important and we identified as that we were a ceo or a this or that and then now we are in this what's next for me mode mm-hmm. and we feel on un, important and we don't know what to do and so there's so many different ways that we can find ourselves in a different type of grief that's often unacknowledged in that we're grieving what was once was and we don't know what to do next what how do we discover we're not, you know, that caterpillar that knows exactly what to do, what our next is, our transition into the next thing. Because so many people, they say, I don't want to be on that rocking chair on the porch unless I'm rocking it, you know, to pieces and just doing it because I choose to. I don't want to be bored into aging. Right. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing. The question of how do I figure out what's next? How do I figure out what to do next is a question of the personality of the ego. And really what I'm talking about is something that is uncomfortable for sure. And that is focusing more on creating space in your life and letting what's next find you. 
Mm. Example, I talk in the audiobook about how for so much of my career, I, I considered myself a gladiator, someone who went out, got things done, you know, was always working, making things happen, focused on ambition and accomplishment and um, achievement. And I had to start relaxing those muscles and building the muscles of being okay with being bored, being okay with the discomfort that came from having more space in my life, being okay with grief, because you're right, we do have to grieve the things that we say goodbye to. If I mean, grief doesn't go away, it waits. And so I made the shift from being a gladiator almost to a chalice, is I think what I talk about in the audiobook that you know, this receptacle where my focus was on not filling up my life with what was next, but instead really cultivating the ability to be present with whatever was, whatever was happening. That's why meditation became important. Journaling for different reasons as a way to kind of empty my busy mind became important. Spending time in nature without anything in my ears, noticing what I was seeing, what I was hearing, what I was smelling, what I was feeling, how my body felt as I moved through nature, um, engaging with nature in new and different ways. And things like this begin to give more time and energy and attention to our inner lives. And it's focused more on creating space than spending so much time, continuing to spend so much time focused on our outer lives. You know, how am I going to craft? How am I going to avoid being bored? I remember my first coach said to me 25 years ago, he said, Cheryl, boredom is the gateway to peace. You've got to learn how to be bored so you can get to the peace on the other side. And I remember thinking he was nuts back then, but he's right. I mean, he was right. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to, um, we need to be able to be bored in order to get to the peace on the other side. And it's so important sometimes we think of, you know, pushing our comfort zones in a way of pushing your comfort zone to get out there and to do great things and all of that. But you've just shared with us an example of pushing your comfort zone to let boredom be as well, because it's often in the quiet that the answers come. And often we don't let the quiet just happen. No, we don't. We haven't been, we're not a culture that, that stays quiet very easily. And certainly technology has really added to that, right? That mm-hmm. suddenly we're, you know, we're always on our phones, on the computer, always engaged in something. And so it really takes deliberate effort and an ability to sit with anxiety and discomfort to learn how to just be at peace. Yes. The times of just sitting and being are almost erased because even if you're out in public in a lobby of a doctor's office or somewhere, people are on their phones and they're not in their mind. They're, you know, doing something that is on their phone and stuff like that. So I love that you're reminding us that it's so important for us to actually just be, dial it back, take notice of things, take in and use all of your senses. Yeah, I would say that much like you go to the gym to build muscle, you want to go to a practice of meditation, let's say, to build the skill of sitting with space. 
So I recommend, I started in January of 2020, I made a decision that I wanted to be a daily meditator. I had meditated off and on for years and you know, meditation's good for you. We now know scientifically there are so many reasons why meditation is good. Most importantly, because it builds that muscle of being present to life. And so I made a decision I was gonna meditate every day. I would set an alarm for 10 minutes on my phone I would sit down in a comfortable position, didn't have to sit in any magical way, just get very comfortable. And I would not get up until that alarm went off. I remember my friend Joe Dispenza said years ago, he said something like, um, you know, when you're sitting there and your mind does everything in its power to convince you to get up, you need to say to your mind, listen, I'm the boss, I'm the soul, you're my employee, and we're not going anywhere until the alarm goes off. And so I began to practice that every day and I kept track of it in a little diary at the end of the day, a, a check mark, just sort of because it worked for me to stay consistent with it. And within just a few short weeks, I found it easier and easier to be quiet, that muscle was being built. And then I found myself wanting to meditate, like turning to meditation when I felt stressed or overwhelmed, even for five minutes, stopping, setting an alarm, getting quiet. Um, and over time, Meditation began to kind of infiltrate my daily life where I'd watch myself get triggered by something and I'd take a breath and step back rather than get my buttons pushed and overreact. It really became, it's like my life became a walking meditation rather than just sitting quietly. And that happened over several months as a result of building that muscle every day. And it's a, you know, I'll be honest with you. I remember I, I read, um, Johan Hari's book, Stolen Focus, which I actually think is one of the most self-care, important self-care books of our age right now. And he talked about the addictive nature of technology and um, how technology is designed to keep us engaged in really powerful ways. And the effort to counteract that is a real effort, but boy, is it worth it. Because what you'll find over time is the more you cultivate presence, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through engaging the senses, when you engage your senses fully in, in this moment, you automatically become present. When you put yourself in front of a sunrise or a sunset, or in my case, in cold water, <laughs> um, you know, when I jump in the ocean in the middle of winter, it, there's nothing like that to bring you right into the present moment. And the more you do that, the more life starts to take care of itself and you don't have to orchestrate anything. Wow. Yes, good stuff. So, and uh, I think that cultivating presence is something that we could all ramp up in our lives because I don't think that we realize how distracted we are. We are a very distracted society mm -hmm. and uh, the technological world has definitely um, taken a lot from our ability to just kind of be and to focus and all of that. We're just such a digital world. I like to bake and I have cookbooks, but I realize <laughs> that everybody else is using online recipes and, you know, it's like so many things we're leading to technologically, you yeah. know. Yes. And especially yes. to the pandemic, you know, so many people were forced to do ordering online, for example, that they used to go out to a store to get or to do without for, for longer than normal. But even the ordering online of groceries, which 
listen, it's wonderful to be able to order groceries and have them delivered to your door, but it fuels that engagement with technology that ultimately robs us of presence. So um, that's an important conversation in the wisdom years. In some ways, I would have loved to have started the audiobook with that conversation and those practices, but there were other things that needed to be dealt with first, like what invites the transition to a more soul-directed life and the importance of dealing with or taking on our health in a very different way. You know, in 2016, my dad died and um, he was a big presence in the world. He had filled with energy, filled with life, but his body gave out because he didn't take care of it. And as we were spending the last week together and I was watching, you know, just different things shut down as the body will do, one of the greatest gifts he gave me was the recognition, like the the front row seat on what happens when you don't make your health a priority in midlife and beyond. Because the older we get, the harder it is to make our health a priority. And so I spent a lot of time in the beginning in the audiobook talking about the very simple but important things we need to start doing and ways we need to shift our thinking in order to be strong and vital and um, mobile for as long as possible as we age, um, because that gives us a chance to really experience the aliveness of life that can happen um, in ways that they it doesn't quite happen in the first half of life. Yes, absolutely, so important. And you talk about a soul-directed life, and I was hoping on the other side of break we could kind of expand on that if you're willing. Sure. Great. Don't go anywhere because this fantastic conversation will continue today. We're grateful to be with Cheryl Richardson talking all things embracing your authentic self throughout your wisdom years and her new book, um, her new audio, Self-Care for the Wisdom Years, Practical Ways to Celebrate the Mystery and Wonder of Aging. You can learn more about her by visiting her at www.cherylrichardson.com. By the way, I know you out there love our show's theme song. For new listeners, that's Jim B. Lop's Aging Grateful. You can find that on iTunes or Amazon Music in his album Dreams. I left in pockets. I invite you to just get the entire album and show Jim some Aging Gratefully love and visit him at fleamarketmusic.com. And there's books, ukuleles, DVDs, so much more. And he is definitely a friend of the Aging Gratefully Show. Special thanks to you out there. Awesome Aging Rebels tuning in all over the world. I love seeing the different countries that we are charting in on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for sharing this episode and these shows with your friends and families. We so appreciate it. Uh, You have been doing that. And it is you, the incredible listener, and our amazing guests that have made this show awarded a top three show on aging on the entire planet. Thank you, Feedspot, for recognizing us in the lineup for now four years in a row. And if I haven't told you since this last episode that you rock and roll model, it is time for me to tell you my truth. You do. And I'm grateful for each of you. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, and we'll be right back. My name is Winter First from Canton, Georgia, and I love listening to the Aging Gratefully Show every Friday with gerontologist Holly Kelly. The Ladder Life Planning Institute is the ultimate guidance for life's inevitable destiny and your path to passionate aging and inspirational advanced care planning. LLPI offers tools that educate, inspire, and enlighten. 
Live vibrantly, plan thoughtfully, age dynamically. Visit LLPI for business and individual consulting services. Professional and keynote speaking, books, workshops, education, webinars, and resources. LLPI is here to transform your ladder life living today. Visit them at LadderLifePlanningInstitute.com. Live extraordinary, age dynamically. Visit LadderLifePlanningInstitute.com. Hi, my name is Harriet Zinker, and I'm the co-author of The Secret to Living a Fantastic Life. And you can get our book at www.fantasticlifebook.com. I was just on the Holly Kelly Aging Greatly Show. What an outstanding experience. Holly is authentic, genuine, enthusiastic, and has an attitude of gratitude. I encourage everyone to follow and listen to her. She is aging gratefully. Thank you so much, best listeners in the world. Welcome back to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, here today with Cheryl Richardson, who promotes awakening to your authentic self and embracing your wisdom years. And I know you, my awesome aging rebels, are all about this conversation. We're learning so much. And mainly, I just love how we're talking about building the skill of sitting with space. Uh, We're talking about how to... um, the talking about cultivating presence and of course her audio that is self-care for the wisdom years, practical ways to celebrate the mystery and wonder of aging. And I definitely want to invite each of you to visit her at CherylRichardson.com and get that. Before we resume our conversation, I want to recognize an Apple user and give our listeners shout out who gave us five stars and wrote this review. Holly welcomes speakers and listeners into her space with warmth and enthusiasm. Her questions are well thought out, and she exudes an understanding of both her topics and audience. Well, thank you for that. We so appreciate it. Please continue to leave us reviews, and we so appreciate when you talk about our amazing guests at your reviews. They appreciate it so much, and so do we. So you know what else we appreciate? Today's guest. And we invite you to visit her at CherylRichardson.com, where you will find so many books she's written. I don't know how somebody writes this many books. I need to get I need to get on the ball here. I mean, she's just writing, writing, writing. Um, she's got retreats. Um, you need to check those out. She's got a blog. Yeah, she's actually got decks of cards on there, uh, workshops to follow her and learn about all her special upcoming events and. Let's see some of her books. Let me let me list some of these. How to Survive the Loss of a Pet. That's an important book. Uh, we've talked about that on this show before. The Art of Extreme Self-Care, Waking Up in Winter. You Can Create an Exceptional Life. Uh, take Time for Your Life. Stand Up for Your Life. Uh, let's see. Life Makeovers, The Unmistakable Touch of Grace. Just some great, great content there. And, of course, her new audio release, Self-Care for the Wisdom Years. I'll tell you what, she's got it going on. And uh, we just really appreciate that we've been able to share this uh, great work that she's doing with you out there. So happy to have her here on the show. And so before break, 
Cheryl, we were talking about a soul-directed life. And I certainly believe in this so much. So I wanted to expand on this because some people might be listening and say, well, that's an interesting term, but what does that mean? What does that look like? So um, as I was saying earlier, you know, the first half of our life is really driven by um, the ego. It's driven by our personality. It's driven by the roles that we've played, the work that we've done, the en our engagement in the outer world. The second half of life is a time when we begin to let some of those pieces go. And as we do, we create space in our lives. We get comfortable with with sitting with more space. And what begins to reveal itself is who we are on a deeper level, who we are on a soul level. So most of us think we are our thoughts, right? We, the mind is, our minds are very busy, engaged in a whole bunch of thinking all day long. And a lot of us think that we are the roles that we've taken on or the, the thoughts that we think, but we're actually the consciousness behind those thoughts and the, the soul that is in this vehicle called a body and is taking on these certain roles to function in the world. But we're called to, as we get older, I think that, you know, there's this important conversation to be had about mortality and um, aging gratefully, as you say, so beautifully and consciously and looking at, you know, what's, what do I want the rest of my years to be like? Who do I want to spend time with? What what activities do I want to be engaged in? And most importantly, what activities do I no longer want to be engaged in? Like, what don't I want to do anymore? What am I bored with? You know, in the audiobook, I tell the story of um, my friend, Debbie Ford. She was a colleague of mine, uh, a coach, a writer. We traveled often together, spoke at the same conferences. And Debbie um, passed away. She died of cancer several years ago. Just before she died, I was with her a couple days before she actually died. And she said to me, you know, the, she said, listen, you know, what really matters is my son and my relationships, not my bestseller status or the number of followers I have or the number of, you know, listeners or viewers, which I understood that. We've all sort of heard that before, right? When you get to the end of your life, it's not all your accomplishments that matter. It's mm -hmm. the you've loved and who have loved you. But she also said something interesting to me. She said, Cheryl, stop doing things that bore you. And I think that that's an important statement for the second half of life. One of the other things we need to ask ourselves is, what are we bored with? You know, what are the things we're doing that are boring that we want to let go of, that we want to give up, so that we can actually have the space and the time to engage in both an inner exploration and cultivating self-awareness and also activities that bring us a sense of aliveness that allow us to feel, you know, Joseph Campbell said, most people will say they want more meaning in their life, but he said, what I think they really want is more aliveness. You know, that, that, that exhilarated feeling of being plugged into life and um, being connected to ourselves, being connected to each other, not always working and um, working, I mean, not only in our jobs, but just in life, trying to manage the outer world. And so the, the later years of our life give us a chance to try on new things. I remember Louise Hay, who was one of my co-writers um, on one of my books, 
said, uh, I remember she wanted to learn how to paint and she was in her 80s at this point. She decided to take a painting class for eight-year-olds. I said to her, yes. why, why are you doing that? She said, you know, I want to learn how to paint and I want to learn with children. I want to do something different. I don't want to learn with adults. Well, she had a ball. She actually learned how to paint and went on to be a pretty incredible painter. Um, and she was trying something new and different, stepping out of the box. And that's what our later years need to be, taking opportunities to step outside of the box that we've lived in and try on new things. And that brings no, no surprise, she wrote, you can create an exceptional life. <laughs> and she did, boy. She right, did. with you. She co-authored that with you. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Uh, well, I love this. And I think that that's an important question that everybody does need to ask, because as you live life, you do want to ask yourself as you grow older, what are you bored with? What do you need to shed in the season of fall, shedding the leaves into winter? What do you need to let go of? Right, right. And we also need to think about our mortality. You know, in a lot of ways, we don't talk about death. We like to deny it. It's all going to it's going to happen to every one of us. But I can see I see mortality as a great friend, as a welcome guest in my life. And you know, there were times where I'll be driving down the street or out on a walk and I'll say to myself, Cheryl, if this were your last week here on earth, would you feel good about how you're spending it? And these days the answer is often yes. But boy, when I was really busy and living more of an ego-directed life than a soul-directed life, oftentimes I felt overwhelmed by my life and my calendar. And as I started to use that question, I'd go home and I'd look at my calendar and I would start eliminating things that weren't an absolute yes, um, that weren't bringing me a sense of aliveness. And, you know, not all at once, but I got less afraid of eliminating things so that I could have a more, um, have a life that was more centered around my self-care and my, my presence. Yes. And so by awakening aliveness, uh, that's kind of the path to more discovery in the right direction. It's a path of more discovery. Yes. It's also fun. It's oh, interesting. Yes. You know, one of the things I talked about in the audiobook, um, almost three years ago now, I was with a group, a small group of friends in the middle of October. I live in Massachusetts, so I'm up in the northeast part of the country. We were walking along the beach. We had just done a long walk. And um, one of my friends, who's very adventurous, said, we should jump in the water. And we're all like, are you kidding me? It's freezing. And she said, no, let's, it, it looks so beautiful. Let's just jump in and get out. So we all had like, you know, I had a workout bra on and workout pants and we took off our jackets and we dove into the water and we came out like little kids, whooping and hollering and laughing and feeling like a million bucks. Well, we went back the following week and did it again. And we went back again. And each time we'd come out, the exhilaration we felt, the sense of aliveness was so profound that it kept drawing us back. And before you know it, you know, it's the middle of February, it's 35 degrees, the water is. And we would jump in, it would take our breath away, and then we'd come running out. And over time, it became a practice where, you know, last week, so here we are in the beginning of November, last week I was in, I think, 55 degree water for about 20 minutes with a group of women who have made this a weekly practice together. We have a, 
a community dip every week and we've become really good friends and we support one another and we do fun things together, different things together. And we have a heck of a time um, enjoying a sense of aliveness together. And never in a million years did I think one, you know, the decision to jump in the ocean one day out of the blue would have brought me to this kind of community and this, the, the ability to overcome the fear, because believe me, when it's snowing out and you're standing on the water's edge and you've made a commitment to go in the water and you take off your clothes and all you have is a bathing suit, you know, the mind does everything in its power to convince you that's insane. Don't do it. But you learn not to listen to the crazy mind. You learn to listen to the soul that's saying, jump, girl, like jump, enjoy every moment. You know, it's not going to kill you. Just get in and get out. And, um, and you can take that practice and apply it to other areas of your life. There are so many things that I've done now that never in a million years did I think I would do as a result of the practice of jumping in the water, doing something out of the ordinary. Believe me, it's not boring at all. <laughs> yes, I love that. And we tell aging rebels all the time. I tell them, embrace your childlike wonder Yes, because we we can lose that along life's way. Yes. And so I love that uh, you are reminding listeners how that unleashes and activates so much more to follow in your life. It does. That's a really great way of putting it, Holly. In a lot of ways, when you say, you know, what does it mean to live a soul-directed life? That childlike part of us that's filled with wonder and curiosity and the courage to jump, right, to just mm -hmm. jump into life that is, that's probably our, our more stronger connection to our soul than any other time in life. And that is the part that we want to engage with so that um, as we do that, as we do the opposite of what we've always done, as we take chances and try something new, we connect with that inner part of ourselves that leads us to far better places that makes life feel abundant and, you know, just joyful. And, um, and I'll tell you this, it makes arriving in our later years far more comfortable. You know, most of the clients back when I used to coach, when I had a coaching practice, I don't do that anymore. But when I did, the people who got really uncomfortable when their birthdays were coming up or who hated New Year's Eve, right, they felt sort of depressed or unsettled, were the people who weren't living their lives. They weren't letting that child in and you know, allowing that child to lead them now and then. Um, it was the people who were adventurous and courageous and childlike in their engagement with life that were so busy living that they weren't afraid of dying. Yes, yes, I love that. Now you talk about energy drains. <clears throat> yes. In the beginning of the um, audio book, I talk about how we, as we, as we enter our wisdom years, we want to begin to manage our energy differently. As Debbie was saying, certainly doing things that bore us drains our energy, but also looking at, you know, what are some of the commitments that we've made that up till this point maybe served us, but now we sort of dread, or maybe the conversations we dread, the people that we spend time with that drain our energy. Because time and energy and space becomes more precious as we get older, it becomes um, more important to really carefully assess how we're spending our time and spending our energy. And so 
I often invite people to make a list of the things that are draining their energy. Maybe there's a volunteer activity that no longer fuels you, or uh, maybe your job is draining your energy and it's time to do something new. Maybe there's a friend who calls and chronically complains about her life or his life and never does anything about it, and you just don't want your energy taken that way. Uh, maybe there are activities that you do. I remember working with one woman who said to me, I'm so sick and tired of cleaning my house and doing laundry. And I said to her, well, maybe you need to hire a housekeeper. Oh, I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't afford to do that. Well, is there some place where you're spending your money that isn't fueling you in some way that you could stop spending your money there and put it to here and save your energy? And that's actually what she did. And she said to me, I don't know how I lived without a housekeeper. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was a privilege and to many people it is a privilege but she was willing to give up something else in order to gain her energy back. And so life is always negotiating things like that, right? What I will often ask myself, what, what am I doing that I no lo longer want to do that I could support another family in doing by hiring somebody to do that? Or is there somebody I could barter with if I can't afford it? I, I bartered all the time when I was younger because I couldn't afford certain services, but I knew I wasn't the best person to do it. So there's lots of ways to begin to eliminate energy drains and so that we have the time and space to engage more in the things that fuel us and give us energy. Yes, and there's so much positive in the world that it's so important, I feel, to take inventory on things that might be a negative drain because sometimes you might not know it. I feel like sometimes news and things like that, people might feel like, oh, what's what's getting on my nerves or what's affecting me? And you may not actually know the culprit until you sit down and, and take inventory and ask yourself what it is. Right. That's yes. right. I mean, yeah, you really want to just stop and say that went back when I used to coach. That's how I started all of my coaching relationships. I'd have the client make a list of the top 10 things that were draining their energy. And the first 90 days, that's all we focused on was eliminating energy drains and their lives would begin to change. They almost didn't even need to pursue their goals because, um, uh, their goals would start to accomplish themselves as they got rid of energy drains. Yes. So important and very often overlooked. And in that kind of segues into investing in those authentic connections, because sometimes your authentic um, connection might have been an in, um, getting rid of a few energy drains. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm. So you talk about coming home to yourself. Yeah, which is the practice of presence, which is the most important thing. You know, as I was saying earlier, you know, cultivating a meditation practice, cultivating time in nature, learning to sit quietly without engaging with technology, um, uh, you know, doing, engaging with nature in new and different ways, like jumping in cold water, like waking up for a sunrise or laying outside at night with a star-filled sky will bring you right into the present moment and allow you to come home to yourself. And that's really what I'm talking about when we talk about that transition from an ego-directed life to a soul-directed life. I'm talking about coming home to yourself, capital S, who you really are. You're not the roles you play. You're not the thoughts you think. You're not 
how you're defined in the outer world. You are a very high being, a, a wise being who is here, who has taken on this body, taken on these roles, but you are not your body and you are not those roles. You're actually something much deeper and much more profound and, and an energy and a consciousness, consciousness that is connected to everyone. And what's amazing is the things that you're sharing aren't monetarily costly. The stars, the sunrise, well, jumping in the water. It's true. I mean, it's shocking. My husband and I, it was so funny. The other day we were meeting with our financial planner and, um, you know, just looking at our retirement and all of that. And and we were both saying how we don't really spend a lot of money on things. You know, we have a, a lovely home that we're very grateful for, but we don't spend a lot of money on things. And I realized, I said to him, you know, when you become present to your life, the little things really do become big things. Sitting out on my back deck in the middle of the summer and seeing hummingbirds fluttering in the air is amazing. It's It brings a beautiful sense of aliveness. Or, you know, last night I was driving home from dinner with really good friends that was wonderful. And as I was driving home, I looked up at the sky just as a giant shooting star went across the sky. And I thought to myself afterwards, as I continue driving, those moments are the most memorable moments and they don't cost anything. You know, being in the middle of the cold ocean and watching the moon rise on one side and the sunset on the other with good friends around me is the most joyful experience and it costs zero. And so usually we end up spending a lot of money in our lives to compensate for the lack of time and space and energy that our busy outer lives are consuming. And so the more we make space in our wisdom years, the more we come home to ourselves, the more we learn to be comfortable with our own presence and our own thought, the less we need to be worried about, um, you know, the less stuff we need in our lives, I guess is what I'm saying, because we actually have our life. Yes. All very good stuff. And so is there anything as we wind down this hour that you would like listeners to know that we haven't yet shared? Well, I think, you know, honestly, the most important thing, Holly, really is taking on the practice of a 10-minute meditation a day. Set an alarm. Your mind's going to do everything in its power to try and get you to get up. But just say to your mind, I am the soul. You are my servant. We're not going anywhere until the alarm goes off. And just notice how your life begins to change. That's one of the most important practices that will dramatically alter the quality of your life. Very important. And uh, I like how you have that kind of down with the soul servant, because uh, I think that that kind of continues to redirect it, that this is going to happen until that alarm goes off. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Um, very good conversation. We really appreciate all the gems that you're bringing to the world. Love this work. Self-care for the wisdom years, practical ways to celebrate the mystery and wonder of aging. It's available at CherylRichardson.com. And I invite listeners to connect with you there. There's so much there waiting for you. And of course, we can't have the hour end without knowing how you age gratefully. How Well, you know, how I age gratefully really is about gratitude. Every single night on Instagram, I have an Instagram account called Coach on Call. 
I list a photo and something I feel grateful for. I've done this for years now, and I invite my followers to join me and to list what they're grateful for. It's wonderful to read what people are grateful for, the simple little things and the big things. And it's just a state of mind, as you know, that changes our, you know, our neural programming, and it makes us so appreciative of life. So that practice alone is what helps me to age gratefully for sure. Yes. Wonderful. We so appreciate that. So thank you so much for being with us today, sharing your work and all the wonderful ways that you are uplifting the world with the work that you're doing. Thank you, Holly. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you. And same for us. You've been listening to Aging Gratefully, and I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our message, I invite you to subscribe and share it with others. May you remember to never act your age and that age is just a number. And may you enjoy and embrace the coming week in the spirit of gratitude. Until we meet again, here's to living your best life now. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day finally made a friend of time now you could say that i'm aging gratefully Mm, aging gratefully